Well, good morning, First Baptist. Let me just do a little stage rearranging real quick. You know, you're gone for a week and everything gets moved around. And it's great to be back in Wyoming. Had a restful trip back in West Virginia. Uh, appreciate Kevin coming and, and speaking so well on the subject of baptism. Um, and it's good to be back home in Wyoming. Missed the mountains. They've got hills in West Virginia, but they don't have mountains. So it's good to be here. A doctor uh, walked into the examining room to visit with his patient. And he looked at the patient and said, well, the lab results are in, and I've got bad news, and I have very bad news. And the patient said, well, what's the bad news? Well, you've got 24 hours to live. Well, what's the very bad news? I tried to get a hold of you yesterday. <laughs> I hope you've never received that kind of news. Uh, but you know, the human body is very fragile. And there's all kinds of different uh, tests that have to be done to evaluate how a person's doing health-wise. And there's all kinds of things that have to be monitored. And there's, there's these vital elements to our health that are the first things that are usually checked if you go to a doctor's office. They want to know your body temperature. Are you fighting some kind of an infection or, or an inflammation? Uh, they want to know your heart rate. If your heart's beating too, too fast, you could be in uh, atrial fibrillation or something like that. If it's, if it's too low, you could be dead. <laughs> There's your respiratory rate. Are you taking good deep breaths or are your lungs obstructed in some way? Are you breathing too quickly? And then there's your pulse rate. I'm sorry, not the pulse rate. Um, your, uh, your blood pressure. If your blood pressure is too high, it could be some indication that uh, you know, you're, you're suffering with anxiety or some other kind of disease. If it's, if it's too low, you could be getting dizzy on the verge of, of passing out. But there's all these vital signs that are indicators of how you are doing in your physical body. Then in a similar way, there are spiritual vital signs. How does a church know if it's really healthy or not? What is it that we can look at to see, is our church doing well or is it in need of some kind of repair? Do we need to take it to a physician and check its vital signs? And then maybe most importantly, what are these vital signs? What is it in a church it has to be monitored in the same way the body has to be monitored for things like temperature and blood pressure, pulse rate, and respiratory rate. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at these vital signs and ask the question, first off, what are... It'll come up in just a second. Here we go. What are the vital signs of the church? And the text we're going to look at this morning is Acts chapter 2. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. Today we're starting a new series called Vital Signs, and this morning I'm going to introduce these vital signs of the church, and then over the coming weeks we're going to take each vital sign one by one. We're going to look at it in depth from various parts of Scripture. And this morning I want to talk about these five vital signs of the church, five vital signs. You actually see four listed in your bulletin. There's, there's one more I'm going to add at the very end, and we're going to talk about what these vital signs are and then we'll even see what happens when you overemphasize one of these vital signs over another. Because it can happen. And it can happen with negative effect. So we're jumping in this morning, and we're going to be in the book of Acts, as I just read. I want to talk about, uh, just for a moment, what led up to the passage that we just read. So in the first four books of the New Testament, we've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one has specific material in it, but they're all kind of telling a similar story about the ministry of Christ ending with his death and his resurrection. And at the end of those books, it talks about uh, different moments that Christ had with, with people as he was making appearances after he'd been resurrected. And then we get to the book of Acts, and the full title of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. You know, a few weeks ago, I used this illustration where I talked about I'd uh, gone on a whitewater rafting trip, and we went to the first rapid, and the guide fell out. And then we found, the, we found ourselves, these 13-year-olds, in this raft together, traveling down the road, looking at the rapids that were coming ahead. Fortunately, we got to the side and got our guide back in. But now these apostles are in the raft, heading down the river, and they need a helper. They need a guide. So the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to start a ministry on earth that had not yet begun. It's going to happen on the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes and indwells those who have trusted in Christ, and he comes in a powerful way. And now we step in to where we see uh, the, the, the last charge given by Christ, and he said in regard to the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's speaking to the the disciples, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he says those words, he's swept away. There's an angel standing there. You can imagine the apostles having just seen this. Their jaws are on the ground, and there's an angel standing there, and this is the cow in summary that says, get to work. What are you men just standing here looking up in the air for? So then they get to work. They start making Christ known to multitudes of people right there in Jerusalem. They receive this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then the Apostle Peter preaches this mighty evangelistic message. And the, the apostles begin to speak in other languages to those around them. And people are hearing the gospel in their own language. And the apostles are very skillfully looking into the Old Testament, showing them the prophecies have come true through the work that Christ had done. And then something incredible happens. The crowd is hearing this message, 
and they believe. They're hearing and trusting in the gospel for forgiveness of their sins. And then we get to verse 41. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we have the birth of the church right here. We're seeing it happen in front of our eyes. This is the new program. This has been prophesied about in the Old Testament. The church has now started, and it's starting right here in Jerusalem. Even though it had Old Testament roots in this faith of, in, in this uh, people of, of Judaism, in this religion of Judaism, it's going to become a worldwide faith. And it's going to spread. So the church began with these 3,000 souls, they're brand new Christians. Now let's take a closer look at what we just read. And I'm going to take these verses a bit out of order because it makes a really nice acrostic that you'll see when we get to the end. So I'm going to start with uh, verses 46 and 47, where we're speaking of these 3,000 converts to the Christian faith. And there it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the first thing I want to point out is, is what we see the people doing there, particularly at the beginning of verse 47. It says they were praising God, okay? This is corporate worship that is happening. And I want to throw up a definition of, of worship. So this is the first vital sign that we see. Worship is the responsibility of the local church to come together to express the worthiness of God in one voice. See, that's what they're doing. They're worshiping God, and, and one of the keys there is they're doing it together in one voice. You know, all through the week we're worshiping God. We, we should be worshiping God. But there's something different that happens when you and I come together as the church on any given Sunday, and we lift up our, our voices to bring praise to God. And this is the way Tozer says that the local church exists corporately to do what each Christian believer should be doing individually, and that is to worship God. So we have this word praise that's being used there. Uh, from a Greek word, it means to express approval for something. So to be praising God is to be singing those things which we believe to be true about God, and those things that we love about God. So we, we do this in other areas too. If you've ever been to a, a baseball game, what do they sing in the seventh inning stretch? Take me out to the ball game. And what are you singing in that? Buy me those peanuts and cracker jacks. Uh, you know, one, two, three strikes, you're out. All those things about the game that people love. And we did this back in West Virginia. You know, I, I don't care what band or group or symphony, for that matter, came to West Virginia. There was one song that they were always expected to sing and or play. Can you guess what that might be? Country roads take me home. And every hillbilly in that audience had tears in their eyes. Blue Ridge Mountain, Shenandoah River. That's the only time you're going to hear me sing a solo. 
Give me, give me a second. Regroup myself. Yes! We sing those things that we love about West Virginia. You know, the mountains and the, the moonshine. Well, the, well, not the moonshine, but the, you know, the rivers and stuff. All those things. We're singing praise. This is what we do when we sing praises to God. We are singing those things that we, that we love about God. All three persons of the Trinity, you heard it this morning. So worship is extremely important, but at the same time, we do not want to overemphasize worship to a fault because it can be done. If we do it to the neglect of other areas, it's going to create an unbalanced church. And an unbalanced church begets unbalanced disciples. So, if a church is doing this, inevitably what they're doing is they're emphasizing the experience of God, how he may make me feel over God himself. In a church like that, you may hear a lot about, uh, you may hear the words, um, the power of the Spirit, uh, people being more expressive. Um, you'll hear more about praise, prayer, worship, music. And don't get me wrong, these are all wonderful things. But they're not the only things. And the danger there is perhaps not loving God with your mind as much as you are your heart. So the first vital sign of the church is worship. It's important. It has to be happening for the church to be healthy, but we don't want to overemphasize it to the neglect of other areas. And let me continue. We come to the second vital sign uh, in verse uh, 42. And it says there, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, there's a few items there that need to be addressed, but I want to focus on what it says at the beginning of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see, in the early church, they were receiving instruction from the very apostles that had walked with the risen Christ. Can you imagine what that would have been like? There would have been 11 of them. Judas, at this point, he had hanged himself. They had chosen another disciple to take, take his place, Matthias. So these apostles are now teaching the crowds, and they're learning. Uh, it says that they are devoted. It's from this Greek word, proskartero, and it means to be uh, busy, to be busying oneself with something or to be busily engaged in something. So these young Christians are hungering for this teaching. And they're diving deeply into what these apostles have to say. And the connotation of that word, uh, the Greek word I mentioned, proskriteria, is that it's ongoing. It's not something they're going to stop doing. They're going to keep diving deeply. As a matter of fact, the root of that word uh, indicates a, a woman. They used to use it to describe a woman who was in the process of having a child. She was in labor. It means that you're sticking with something because you believe the end result is going to be worth it. So that's what this word devoted means. And we're not talking about, um, you know, we're not talking about attending a class that's going to be over tomorrow. They were devoting themselves to being lifelong learners. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So instruction is that second vital sign of the church. Now, again, this can be overemphasized to a fault. So what would a church look like that, that overemphasized this? Well, we'd have really, really smart Christians. 
that were really full of head knowledge, but probably weren't that good at being compassionate to the brothers and sisters. Probably wouldn't be that good at loving those that were around them. And frankly, the church probably looks a lot like a Bible institute. So that's the danger in overemphasizing this. We neglect other areas because there's other vital signs as well. And I want to go to the next one. And we find this one all through verses 41 and, and 47, 41 through 47, the whole passage that we read. So two phrases I want to pull out is verse 42. It says, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And then verse 46, every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts. Just pause for a second. Just to hear that, isn't that somewhere where you just kind of like want to be? Just getting to be with people that you love, that love you, that care about you, looking out for each other? That is what we call fellowship. That's this third vital sign. Being in each other's lives. There was no loneliness. There was no hunger. There was, people were taking care of each other. And who wouldn't want to be a part of that? It's happening. This is a little taste of heaven on earth. They're building this kingdom community among these brand new believers. You know, none of us were meant to do this Christian thing alone. I'm going to go a step further. You can't do this Christian thing alone. You see, you and I have so many blind spots that we need other people loving us enough to speak truth into our lives. I can't diagnose myself. I think I'm great some days. <laughs> then I find out I'm not. It's kind of embarrassing. But it's true. We have to be in fellowship. They, they realize this. The truth is there's a lot of substitutes out there. There's people just getting really involved in, in maybe the bar scene or fitness programs. They're finding other places to get fellowship. Now, you can overemphasize this. And what happens when you overemphasize that? Well, you get something like what we could call the family reunion church, where you've got a group of people that love to be together. They love having fun. But you know what? You can do that without Christianity. You can do that without Christ. People do. They do it all the time. But what happens when those affinities that people gather around and love to be together to talk about, well, I don't care if it's fishing or hunting or hockey, whatever it may be, what happens when they, they really get low? What happens when they need someone who has been loved so well by God that they're showing that love to them and they need that? That's when we need Christian fellowship. That's when we have to have it. So fellowship is vital for the church and for the disciple of Christ. And then we get to the fourth, and we find this in verses 41 and 47. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized. And, those, and then verse 47, and the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. So people were hearing the message, and they were believing it to be true. This speaks to evangelism. This is what the apostles were doing so well. That word evangelism, it comes from this Greek word, euangelizo. It means the good news, and they're spreading the good news. The act of spreading the good news is evangelizing. Uh, and, and it says that they were, 
believing it. If you look at verse 41 in there, it says those who accepted this message, and that literally means those who acknowledge the truth of it. Remember, Jesus, after he was resurrected, he appeared before all kinds of people. And these disciples are staking their life on that truth. If this had been a lie, these disciples would have been nuts. They would have been willing to die for something that they knew to be a lie. And this morning, after we do communion, I'm going to be standing right down here. If you are unsure about where you are spiritually, if you're unsure about whether or not you have trusted Christ, if you're unsure about what your eternal destination may be, you can meet me right here, and I'll show you what the Scriptures say about how to get to heaven. So they were evangelizing. And there's one more I want to add. And we find this in verses uh, 44 and 45. And it says there, all who believed were together and held everything in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. So this last vital sign of the church is service. Service. They weren't just wrapped up in their own needs. They are very concerned about the needs of others. Now again, if a church is just all about service, and this happens, this is kind of a trend now. If a church is completely about service, oftentimes they'll sacrifice the Word of God. A lot of churches have become so involved in in movements and things that they are no longer calling sin, sin, they would say for the sake of being inclusive. Now, again, this is where it gets out of balance. Should there be service going on in the church? Absolutely. Should we be loving each other well and serving each other well? Absolutely. But again, it's got to be kept in balance with these other vital signs of the church. So putting all those together, it does make this nice acrostic wives, W-I-F-E-S, these are the things that we want to keep in balance. And again, balanced churches beget balanced disciples. And I'll also say that balanced disciples will also help a church to be in balance. It's, it's a cooperative relationship there. So just like healthy life choices keep your physical body in balance, the key to keeping spiritual balance is to always have these five elements in view. Please pray with me. God, there are so many reasons we can let our churches become unbalanced. As we feel the pressures of the culture, as we seek to entertain people, rather than being in the business that you've given us of making disciples, we can get things out of balance. And God, give us the wisdom to see what changes we need to make, both personally uh, and as your body collectively, to be a church that is in balance. And Lord, I also pray that you would now prepare our hearts as we go into this special time of communion. When we take time to remember your sacrifice as a corporate body, and it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.